Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short term rentals and long term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Short Term Show. Today we are going to turn the tables a little bit and instead of interviewing a short-term rental owner slash investor slash host, we are going to interview a professional digital nomad. Zach Boozy Cruz is here. Uh, he has stayed in, well, I'll let him tell you all about himself, a lot of Airbnbs and we're going to hear, hear about things from the guest side today. So how's it going, Zach? It's going excellent. It's Monday. I've had two. I'm on my third cup of coffee, so uh, it's it's been one of those Mondays. But feeling great and excited for the opportunity to chat with you all. Awesome. Well, we are very very excited to to hear from you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How you ended up basically living in Airbnbs all the time? Yeah. So. You know, like many folks, when COVID hit overnight, my wife and I were sent home from work and we lived in Washington, D.C., in Northeast D.C., about half mile from Union Station for anyone that might be familiar with the area. And, you know, we were all of a sudden overnight working in a 700 square foot apartment, both on Zoom calls all day. Uh, it was a one bedroom apartment, so you couldn't really escape the building that we were in closed down all of our amenities like many places did and we were trying to navigate who was going to take a zoom call when we were doing calls from outside and long story short it just uh became a little bit unman uh, unmanageable and we thought to ourselves you know what we we gotta we gotta break out of this we gotta you know do something different so we were thinking about moving into a place with more space and then sort of on a whim we just thought about what would it look like to get out of our lease and travel around a little bit and like what would it look like to actually live for at least a couple of months on uh, Airbnb before we kind of figured out what our next step was and a long story short we got out of our lease and we uh, started going up north a little bit to the New England area loved it uh, after two months of kind of bouncing around the east coast we decided to make our way out west and really just, you know, one week led to another week, which led to another month and then another month after that. And it's just been this incredible ride um, along the way. So that's uh, in a nutshell, uh, COVID was very much the impetus for us uh, heading out on the road. I think that it, it went that way for a lot of people with COVID. I mean, I moved during COVID because my husband's job uh, with Sirius said, oh, all the all the DJs, you can work from home basically forever now. And so we said, well, why are we sitting here in Nashville? We yeah. all of our real estate offices are in other areas. We don't sell real estate in Nashville. So let's move. Let's move somewhere that actually makes sense now. So totally get it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so how many Airbnbs or short term rentals would you say you've stayed in over the course of of your time, what, what is it? So like a year and a half now you've been doing it? Yeah, yeah, like 15 months. Um, and so it's, uh, I believe it's 51 now is the total. Uh, so, you know, we, we moved a lot at the beginning, uh, have tried to, you know, slow things down a little bit, but um, anywhere between a, a week to two weeks is sort of ideal. 
Um, and we, anything, you know, less than that is it's, you know, hard to get to know a place when you're only there for a couple of days. And again, we're, we're both, you know, working full time too. So you're not on vacation. Um, so the sweet spot for us has been around that, you know, week and a half to two week mark. And a couple of our favorite places actually have been places where we had longer stays. So two week stays, and there's a beautiful place in Booth Bay Harbor, Maine, which is about an hour north of Portland, Maine, for those who are familiar with the area. And it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous cottage um, right you know, near the water. And we've done two two-week stays there. And it's you know, by far our most favorite uh, of, of short-term rentals. So uh, Susie and Neil are the, are the hosts there. So for anyone looking for more than just a stay, but a, a full-fledged experience, can't recommend Booth Bay Harbor, and the the name of the short term rental is the Sparrow's Nest. So, highly, highly recommend ch- checking that out next time you're in Maine. I love Maine, other than the cold, but I I love lobster. So yeah. I'm totally into totally into Maine. So of the 51 short term rentals, where did you stick mostly to the Northeast? You venture west. Where all did you go? Where, let's start there. Yeah. So the first three months, again, you know, we were excited to hit the road, but this is the first time we had done something like this, right? Like, and we, we were renting at the time. Um, we were really leaving, right? We were uprooting ourselves completely. Um, we put our stuff in, you know, parents' basements and, uh, that was, that was that. And then we hit the road. So we stayed a little bit close to home for those first three months, just, to, in case work all of a sudden called us back again, this was still, if, you know, it seems like forever ago, but it wasn't that long ago when we weren't sure how long we were going to be, you know, allowed to be remote. So we wanted to be within sort of a six to seven hour drive if for whatever reason our employers called us back overnight. Uh, and then after three months of that, we said, you know what, this thing is not ending anytime soon. So why are we sticking to the East Coast? Let's head West. So we drove all the way to San Diego uh, over the course of four or five weeks or so. And then went all the way up uh, the California coast into the Pacific Northwest, spent a good amount of time in Montana, and then slowly made our way back uh, east. We're actually in D.C. right now. So, yeah, all over the place. I think it's been 28 different states um, in that period of time as well. So definitely have a feel for it. Well, one of the things that was most interesting, Avery, was the fact that you could see how different parts of the country were responding to the dramatic change that the world was going through. And we'd be in one place one week and nothing was open. You you couldn't even find like, you know, pizza for takeout. And then you'd be in another place and it was as if, you know, the pandemic didn't exist. It didn't, you know, exist at all. So it was this very like really an interesting moment to experience life on the road. I totally agree with that. And let's one second, 640. All right. So I think when you're moving your hands, it's hitting your mic cable and making kind of a banging Uh, noise. Sit on them. (laughs) Great. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. So um, we'll just cut that this little part from 640 to. All right, cool. So you've been all over the country staying in short term rentals. So what, in your opinion, makes a good short term rental? Great question. So one of the things I like to tell folks that ask this question, because as you imagine, you know, not not everyone has stayed in so many Airbnbs in a very condensed period of time. And I think that this is, you know, this is sort of the million dollar question that everyone wants, everyone wants to know. And what I like to say is 
you know, have a target guest in mind. So as you're crafting your space, whether you're buying a place, whether you're designing a place, et cetera, like who, who are your ideal guests? And it doesn't need to be just one persona, but, you know, pick a few, maybe a couple of guest personas, and then think about who ideally you think that this space is uh, a great fit for. For example, if it's a place in the mountains, right? And you know that you're really going to be focused on attracting people that love to hike, that love to explore outdoors. Have that influence everything that you do with the home. Have that influence how you market the home. Uh, I think that, you know, sometimes short-term rental hosts get into this habit of trying to be all things to all people uh, and or trying to craft the space in such a way that would make them happy but isn't necessarily optimized for short-term travelers, especially those of us that are you know, living full-time uh, as digital nomads. So come up with a couple of uh, guest personas and then craft an experience within the context of your home around those ideal guests. That makes sense. So um, a big topic that we go back and forth with a lot with uh, short-term rental owners is the gift basket. In mm. my experience, I've never once, we, we tried gift baskets for a little while. I've never once had anyone say thank you. As a matter of fact, I've only had people say like, oh, well, I would have preferred this kind of cookie, but you gave me that kind of cookie. So I'm like, you know what, don't bother with it. It's adding work for yourself. Maybe one guest out of 10 might mention it. What do you think? Great question. So what I, I think it's less about the gift basket and more about how are you bringing in the local community into your home, right? So I think there's something special about when you arrive at a place and there's a, you know, uh, a bag of coffee, right? From a local roaster down the street or, hey, when there's a, a bottle of wine, right? From if you're in wine country, right? From a, a vineyard nearby, that's that's special, not necessary, but it it immediately makes you feel like, oh, wow, there was some intentionality and thought behind, you know, this place and making this experience, making this stay an extension of my vacation, right? Or my an extension of my time here. So I think leaving a gift uh, can cert it does it does less harm um, than than you know good. I think it, most of the time it's, it's it's appreciated. Do I think it's like a, a necessity? No. And in fact, sometimes we've showed up and there's you know a couple bag of bags of chips uh, and like a water bottle, and it almost actually detracts from uh from this day because the rest of the house is beautiful. It's furnished really well, fully stocked kitchen. And then you, you know, have a couple of bags of potato chips on the counter with a, with a water bottle. So, but, you know, outside of that, I do think the, the bigger question I think it, that is worth wrestling with is how do we help bring the culture that is immediately surrounding our short-term rental into the context of the home? How do we incorporate, you know, some artisan gifts of sorts uh, into the home, or this could even just happen in how you decorate the home too, right? It doesn't even have to be something to offer your guests in, 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 a, in the context of a gift, but how are you decorating the home so that it, it does feel like an extension of the place? Awesome. I remember one time that uh, we went, so there's a little place called Heber Springs, Arkansas, where you can go trout fishing. I forgot the name of the little river. You can't get in it. It's too cold because it's spring fed, but there's like a trout fishery uh, thing. Hang on. Sorry. Uh, there's like a, not fishery, hatchery, trout hatchery, mm. like right nearby. And um, what 
you do when you go to Heber Springs is you stay right on the water and you fish the whole time. And that's basically it. You can't swim, can't do anything else. But uh, we stayed at what was actually a trailer and not one in good condition, really, and not one that was really updated. But um, the, the owner there, she had... And all of the reviews mentioned this, this uh, homemade waffle like batter and homemade. It wasn't a syrup. It was more of kind of a sauce is different than a syrup uh, that she put in the refrigerator every time. And we were like, mm, I don't, you don't really, you know, you don't eat other people's food that they leave you. That's just made like that. You know, so we went back and forth the whole time. Like, we're not we're not messing with these waffle. We're not doing that. It's just weird. It's just creepy. But then finally, we were like, well, you know what? Maybe we will. And we did. And they were like the best waffles we have ever had in our lives. And that's what it said in all of the reviews. But we were just a little like weirded out. So just an example of like what one person thinks is really cool. Other people might be weirded out by and vice versa. Because I know for my mom taught me like you don't ever just eat food that people other people make if you don't know them. <laughs> so uh, but it was actually really good. And I'm glad I branched out and did that. But uh, it's um, the, the gift basket thing and leaving of the food is definitely kind of a hot topic with hosts. And there's one thing actually that I got a bad review for one time because we don't leave uh, a lot of food products. We only leave coffee, uh, non-dairy creamer so it doesn't go bad and um, a few spices and maybe a can of Pam so that they can cook. But uh, one person left us a bad review because we didn't have soy sauce in the cabin. So when it comes to the leaving of condiments and sauces, I think... Uh, I think that's gross as, because he actually mentioned it would be cool if you had like a big thing of ketchup and a big thing of uh, of soy sauce. But to me, that's gross. I don't want to use a bottle of something that another guest has used that I don't know before me. Maybe I'm being a germaphobe. It is COVID after all. So what do you think about that? What level of condiments and seasonings do you think is like the bare minimum? And should you be leaving things like that out? Great question. So I am a big fan. I like to cook. And, and again, if you're on the road as a digital nomad, you don't want to be eating out all the time. So if you've got a, if you've got a full kitchen in your short-term rental where people are likely to cook, I think having, a, you know, at a bare minimum spices, like a spice rack, super, super helpful, right? I, I'm with you on, on condiments, Avery. I just, I think that it does more harm than it does good. Don't leave condiments. Uh, it looks gross, like must, a half-used mustard bottle. Just It's just not an attractive feature. And when you open a, the fridge, even if it's really clean, your eyes are going to immediately go to that you know, half-used uh, half mustard bottle um, and with crust on the you know, outside or dripping down. It's just not – you don't win. No one wins in that, in that scenario, right? And I think, I think it's actually similar to the question sometimes folks ask about like, hey, what do you think about, you know, shampoo bottles that are refillable bottles versus like the shampoo and soap bottles that you might find in the context of a hotel. And my my recommendation here is like, if as long as the bottle is not see-through, I think, you know, reusable bottles are totally fine. It's when you can see through and see how much of the shampoo has been used or how much of the conditioner is left um, that it, it does, it, it makes you think, oh, wow, Somebody else has used this, which is silly, but like when it's a refillable bottle that is, you know, black or gray or whatever, and you, it's not transparent, I don't feel the same as I do when it's a, you know, transparent, you know, uh, bottle and you can see that, oh, wow, there's only a quarter of this liquid left. It just gives you this, this weird feeling. So my recommendation, 
uh, not that you asked, but for, for folks that might be interested is use, re, re, if you're going to do the reusable bottle route, totally fine. Just make sure that the containers are not clear. Otherwise I would stick to sort of the disposable hotel uh, shampoos and conditioners. And, you know, same thing applies to condiments. Yeah, I kind of agree with that because a lot of people do say, oh, what if I just get a big pump bottle of stuff and and have have our cleaners refill it? And then I personally would rather go the individual soaps and shampoo route just because it does feel kind of weird if you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, somebody's used quite a bit of this. So that's a good recommendation. If you're going to do that, make sure that it's not a see through bottle, because then it does feel like this is brand new. This is a house that I'm staying in and it doesn't have, you know, other the ghosts of other people everywhere. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. So talk to me a little bit about smart home tools. So I know a lot of us use you know, digital door locks and ring cameras and Nest thermostats. I don't use Nest. I don't recommend Nest. I use um, Honeywell. But talk to me about the difference between that being helpful and it making things too complicated for you as a guest. So I think the smart locks are great. Love. And there there are a couple of brands um, out there. And the one, a lot of hosts uh, in our experience have said, hey, we're, you know, the last four digits of your cell phone number are going to be the digits for you to get in and out of the home. That's been super, super convenient and helpful. I'm always skeptical when, um, not, not that skeptical, but it is a little bit, you, you do a double take when it's the, someone sends you the code uh, in sort of the, the welcome email or the welcome message. And it's like, this is the four digit you know code for our home. And there's no like, there's no explanation that this is a custom, you know, a lock for you or a custom keypad, uh, just uh, a pin, if you will, for you. So just a, a quick, you know, random tip for folks is if you if you are using, um, you know, if you're not going to go the last four digits of their cell phone route and you're going to you have some other pin that you'd like folks to use, specify somewhere that this is a unique pin for their stay. I think it just helps, you know, folks feel a little bit more comfortable, um, uh, you know, net products like Nest definitely love i love you know the easier it is to sort of like make the space feel comfortable right the better so you know whatever tools you've and and other uh tech products you might recommend to to make that happen all four i think one of the things especially if you're trying to attract longer term stays and guests like nomads who have the ability to stay in a home for two three four weeks the more that you can do to make that that uh, space actually start to feel like home, the better. So again, if, if digital nomads are part of your persona, your target sort of like guest persona group, I think investing in those products, um, you, you can only win in that in that scenario. There's no there's there's real no down. There's really no downside. So the goal for me when I'm getting, we'll we'll use the Nest as an example. So the reason that I use the Honeywells and not the Nest is because the Nest is not super user friendly. And on my end of things, I don't want to have to be contacted by guests, you know, several times over the course of their stay, several different guests in a row because they can't figure out how to use something. So uh, for me, I'm going the route that makes it easiest for them, but also easiest for me. So mutually beneficial. So we call it getting upstream of things. So if you have mm. a, more than if you have three people that complain about the same thing, like, oh, I couldn't figure out how to how to do the thermostat, then you need to get upstream of that and change that before anyone else has a problem with it. So find something that's easier to use. If you get three or more complaints about something, it's time to change it. 
I love that. And just a, a quick add on to that, you know, it, it, it's surprising when it comes to any sort of appliance or any sort of fixture or tool in the house, if it's a little bit complicated, like unless it's a lamp, right, with a quick on off button, I do think it can be helpful to just leave a little note right next to it saying, hey, this is how you operate this thing. It, it's surprising how many times we've stayed in places with a, you know, unusual appliance or uh, something fu- like a funky thermostat, right? And then there's there's no instructions for you. So then you go and you you do contact the get the the host and ask for for help or support. And even sometimes in the context of like the the house manual, right? It sometimes is buried in there, but oftentimes it's not, right? And so I think that anytime you are using anytime you've got a feature in your home that is a little bit more complicated, or you know, if you're like, think about the shower for instance, right? So every once in a while, like the hot you know, the hot faucet, the, the hot knob is the cold, is cold water and cold water is uh, the cold knob is the hot water. Have some like even just a simple note that says, hey, by the way, expect this or this is how you operate that. It, you know, can go a long way and probably reduce reducing the number of inquiries or the number of questions you receive uh, as a host from your guests. Absolutely. And along the same lines of uh, smart home technology, how do you feel about like bringing digital doorbell cams? So to be honest, I don't love them. Um, And I don't love them simply because the couple I've only I think only a handful of the places that we've stayed have had them. But there is something a little bit weird to arriving at a place and then having the host who you've only ever communicated with over like Airbnb um, say, Hey, yeah, you can get in now. And the, the amount of um, it just, it it feels like you're being watched uh, in a way that is, is not particularly exciting or helpful upon first arrival. I totally understand from the host perspective, why it can be incredibly helpful. You want to, you know, understand who's arriving, you want to make sure that there's, you know, nothing weird happening. But I think from the guest perspective, um, it does feel it does feel a little like you're being watched within the context of like a fishbowl. Um, so anyways, I, I don't have strong opinions, I, I, you know, in, in either direction here. But I totally understand why a host might might want to ring camera. So you're saying that you went to like check in somewhere and you show up on the doorstep and they just text you and they're like, Okay, here you go. Like we see you. Come on. Yeah, in. yeah. I mean, no, yeah, that's it, creepy. Was, it was more than that. We 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 typed in the code, and then like I missed it the first time, and I got some digit wrong, and then the vo- there was a voice that came through, you know, the the doorbell of the, the camera, whatever it was, and said, "Hey, I think you you keyed in the wrong code. Um, try again." And it, it was incredibly startling. Um, no, that's not cool. That's not so, yeah, cool. That was not cool. <laughs> no, no. So for me, when, when we're teaching somebody how to run their short-term rental and because, you know, everybody does want to have a ring cam just to make sure. But what we do is we tell everybody, do not look at your camera. Don't watch the camera. It's weird. It's creepy. You're also going to ruin your life because you're going to cause yourself a lot of anxiety. So for example, if they booked for four people and they bring five people and you see on the ring cam that they brought five people, it's only going to make your life harder for the duration of their stay because you're going to be anxious because they brought one extra person. Was that extra person probably going to burn down the house single-handedly? No, they were not. And if you had not been watching 
they probably just would have checked out. It would have been a normal stay. Nothing would have happened. But now you've caused yourself anxiety and you sure as hell better not be messaging the guests that you saw an extra person because that's all that's going to do is make them feel creeped out, just like you just described. And then they're going to leave you a bad review. Or if they don't leave you a bad review over that, they're going to already be kind of pre-uncomfortable with everything to where they might be more sensitive to other things about the house. So guys, when you have a, a ring camera, which I do recommend having, but only use it to refer back if there is an incident. Don't stare at it all day. I know we say this all the time and you guys are probably sick of hearing it. Do not stare at your camera all day because, <laughs> or, or at all, like don't talk to them. Don't talk to the guests through your camera. It's creepy. And as Zach just said, it makes them feel really uncomfortable and that's not what you want. You're here to provide a nice, cool vacation for somebody not to micromanage them over your camera. So very, I'm really, really glad that you told that story because that is the exact kind of thing that we try to hammer home with, with our clients is like, don't do that because yeah. it makes you uncomfortable. It's weird. Don't be weird, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> if you take nothing else away from this episode, it's don't be weird. Uh, towels. So mm. that's another big, big back and forth um, among hosts is how many towels do you need per bedroom? Or sorry, not per bedroom, per bathroom, per guest. Uh, where are you? What kind of a towel guy are you? Are you like, a, if you're staying for five days, how many towels do you need? So I think the more important question there is the quality of the towel, right? So like, if you've got if you've got really nice towels, right, really like plush towels, uh, you know, I, I've used the same towel throughout the duration of a week long stay, no problem, they like, dry really quickly, right. Um, now, I think, unfortunately, a lot of the time, the temptation is we've spent so much on the place, like, let's go cheap on the towels and the sheets and, and whatnot. And I think that that's uh, a common mistake that short term uh, rental hosts can make. Uh, and one of the things that, again, I, li I like to tell folks is, or encourage folks to think about is, you know, when people feel comfortable, right, or people feel like, you know, they're either warm, uh, in, in, if they're if they're cold, or they're, uh, they're taken care of, their body feels good, like, their, their perspective on the overarching place is that much better. So like, if you nail the sheets, if you nail the bed, if you nail the pillows, if you nail the towels, I think... You're, the the individual just feels better throughout the, their, the duration of their time at your place. And therefore, their overall experience is just going to be that much more elevated. So, you know, I, I'm also, you know, a dude. And so I, I might care a little bit less uh, about towels than, than my wife does, for instance. But in general, I think having the option, quite frankly, of multiple towels, it just, it, it makes me feel like when I walk into a bathroom and I see a basket and there's six neatly rolled towels in that basket, I'm, I only ever use one throughout the duration of the stay if it's like a week or so. Or so. But the feeling, the, the, the visual representation of there being multiple towels immediately elevates the space um, in, in, in my perspective. So again, Assuming you're not drowning in laundry after every guest stay and recognizing that, yeah, some people will just use six towels in the context of six days. I think as a general rule, it's more important that you just focus on ensuring that you've got a few quality towels, assuming it's like a you know two, one to two bedroom place. Um, and maybe a good rule of thumb would be two quality towels per, per room. Uh, you would probably know, you know, better than than I do, Avery here. But I think it's more important that the the product be quality than 
you know, the quantity, if you will, of the product. 100% agree with that. So let's talk about pet friendly places. So do you guys travel with a pet? We do not, no. Okay, great, because that's exactly what I want to ask about. So for me, I'm a huge dog person. I'm that person, or I mean, pet person in general. I've adopted probably too many animals in my lifetime. And I cannot, I'm, I've disallowed myself from following the local humane societies because I just can't, I'll see some somebody and I'll go get them. So that's a problem for me. Uh, but because of that, I really, really wanted to be pet friendly with our rentals when we first started and very quickly changed my mind about that a because it only takes you know one or two times of somebody bringing like a white fluffy sheddy dog to really really piss your cleaner off uh because they will spend hours and hours unweaving all the the fur that is woven into everything and you just can never get up all the dog hair there will always be one left um so my problem with being pet friendly, because I do travel with a couple of my dogs. So when I go into a place that is pet friendly, I know I'm okay with it. If it smells like somebody else's dog, like whatever, I'm bringing my dogs. This is what I signed up for. So yeah. talk to me about that. Do you shy away from, as a non-pet traveler, do you shy away from staying in pet friendly places because you're worried about there might be some dog hair or it might smell? Yeah, uh, we 100% we do. And in fact, when people talk in the review, one of the things, so one of the ways that we decide kind of where we want to stay, uh, it, it, sometimes reviews on Airbnb or any short-term rental site can be a little bit misleading. Um, and so what we always like to do is we like to, beyond the star rating and the number of reviews, we'll go and we'll click over into reviews and then we'll do like a command F search and we'll look up specific features of the home. So we'll say like, uh, command F uh, kitchen. Like, what are people saying about the kitchen? Yes, we can see with the amenity icon that there's a full kitchen, but like, what are guests actually saying about how fully stocked was the kitchen? Again, we're living here, so we want to make sure that there's more than, you know, one frying pan uh, in the kitchen where uh, we can actually cook a full meal, right? Uh, and so similarly, when it comes to pets, what we'll do is, if, if, especially if they say in the description, you know, we love animals, uh, we're, we're pet friendly, we'll go and we'll look uh, and see, okay, well, what are people saying about that? Like, does does the place smell? Is, you know, does, did people find kind of hair hanging out around the couch or in the bed or what have you? So we do shy away from those places. Uh, and especially if, especially if there's comments from the host in the, uh, in the listing description that talk about how much they do love animals and, and whatnot, just for us again, because we don't currently have any, any animals. We're not, we're not looking for, uh, for that kind of a place. So that said, one of the things just thinking more generally to, and speaking maybe towards your investor audience here, um, Avery, like, I do think there's way more potential to be very unique with your places and in almost sort of like, you know, go all in on the pet front, right? Like decide, Hey, you know, I'm going to craft a couple of spaces where the entire place is going to be optimized for dogs or, you know, cats and, you know, they're, they're, you know, the animals, humans as well, but like, this is going to be a fun space for a dog to hang out in. And I think you could do this beyond pets too. I think in general, like one of the missing 
uh, opportunities in the short-term rental space is really, you know, theme specific stays. Like, I don't know if you saw Airbnb is like renting out the home alone house right now for like 25 bucks a night for one lucky winner. I think that there's huge opportunity in the short-term rental space to, you know, design spaces around people's favorite movies, people's favorite characters. If you're in like a, you know, uh, Orlando area, right? Do a whole cool Disney house. There, there are a couple that have been done, but honestly, we we've, we spend, you know, hours and hours and hours scouring these sites every week. And there just are not as many theme-specific homes or focused-specific STRs as you might, as you might imagine. Um, so I think that there's huge opportunity for a good sort of, you know, uh, real estate uh, a guru to team up with a cool designer and go at it and, and you know, create cool spaces that really do cater to, towards those kind of, you know, guest personas we were chatting about a little bit earlier. So anyways somewhat of a tangent there, but you know, as that relates to pets, like I do think if, if you're going to be pet friendly, go all in on it. Right. And like have a dog run in the back or, you know, you know, be, be super, super upfront about it. Um, but that's not the kind of place that, uh, that we're looking to stay. Absolutely. And that's exactly the answer that I was kind of looking for is that I think a lot of people, they just, to your point from earlier of trying to be everything to everyone, you kind of do have to choose. They think, well, by being pet friendly, I'm opening up my market to all these people when actually what you're doing is just catering to one type of person instead of the other one. Because yeah. I know if I, if I'm not, if I'm not bringing my dog, then I don't really want it to smell like dogs or have dog hair. But if I am bringing my dog, then I don't care because I'm like, this is, this is the price you pay for traveling with a pet. So yeah. it is really difficult. I stayed in one um, not too long ago where it did, it smelled like somebody had two or three big old labs in there. And um, that's not what I would want if I was someone, if I were someone coming in without a pet. So that's, that's a really great point that you hammered home for me. So thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, let's talk about communication a little bit, because that's that's a pretty hot topic for me. I don't like to bother people. So we might have one little automated uh, message that checks in with them like halfway through their stay that says, hey, how's it going? Everything all right? Anything broken? Like, can we do anything like that? Um, but then some people I know want to like chit chat with their guests and they might uh, want to meet them for drinks or something. So how do you feel about let's just first let's talk about actually meeting the host. I'm, mm. I'm like, no, I don't want to meet, I don't want to meet my friends. <laughs> I want to stay like, <laughs> I don't want to be around people. So I, we're obviously we're remote, so that's not an option for us, but not everyone manages remote. So let's talk about the actual meeting of the host. And then let's get into just the, the on-platform communication. Is that weird? Do you feel weirded out when the host wants to meet you? So, you know, I, I, I do. However, I, I have to say that we, our favorite places have ended up being the places where we did have interaction with hosts. And so it's, and I, I think there were some circumstances around that, that was a little bit different and, and unique, which, you know, made, made that happen. So what, what I'll say is this, if the host is living on the property, right, if they're, if they're in the house, a house, you know, a couple yards away, or even, even like a football field away, right? Like if they're, if they're nearby and they do offer to, you know, stop over and bring us like a basket of treats or whatnot, a hundred percent of the time we'll say, we'll say yes to that. And I do understand from the host perspective that if, especially if your house is on the property, you want to make sure like you've at least seen the people that are going to be in and out of your, of your space, just to make sure again, that there's, you know, nothing, nothing fishy or weird going on. So 
if you live on property, it makes a lot of sense. Now, I have we have actually been invited to a happy hour from a host that did not live on the property and lived like 45 minutes away and wanted to come, you know, meet us at uh, at a bar nearby. So, and that that was a little that was a little strange. Uh, the invitation was kind of caught us off guard, um, but. The, the two places in particular that we've loved the most of every place that we've been was in Ferndale, California, about four hours north of uh, San Francisco, and then Booth Bay Harbor, Maine. And both of the time, the hosts lived in separate houses on the property and went over and above to just be incredibly hospitable uh, and very, very, just very gracious hosts. Uh, and we had, you know, uh, a, a couple meals with with both of them. Now, again, it was also you know, in the middle of the pandemic, we were sitting outside, we hadn't been around people in six months, and we were kind of, you know, craving some human interaction. So uh, it was it was refreshing. To your point about platform specific communication, though, there is a fine line between badgering your guests, right, and being helpful. And there, there have been instances where there's almost too much communication, where you feel like, where I feel almost put on like, oh, my gosh, I have to tell this person that I have to constantly affirm this person that I'm doing okay, that like they did a good job setting up the space. And that feeling when again, you're the guest isn't a welcomed one. So I love your approach. I love the, the, the mid stay check-in. I do think that that's important and that, that doesn't happen as often as you might think where it's like, you know, if you, if you're staying someplace for a week, couple days in, yeah, send that message. Make sure that they're doing all right. Make sure that they don't need anything else. But outside of that, you know, again, unless you're living on the property, I'd let folks be. Uh, yeah, I 100% agree with that. Like you want to make sure there's nothing broken. So the the main reason that we do a, a mid-stay check-in, and by the way, it's not like a, hey, is there anything we can do for you? It's not an invitation for us to do something, but what we want to get out ahead of is if there is anything broken or messed up that we don't know about, we, um, we want to get out ahead of that before they just leave it in the review. Because a lot of times what guests yeah. will do is they won't say anything. You know, they won't say, oh, hey, we couldn't turn on the hot water the whole time. But then they'll leave it in the review. And like, we yeah. want to know about that during your stay. So if there is something like that going on, uh, you know, it's not us saying, hey, can we go pick you up some toilet paper? But, if, you know, if there's something wrong with it, we want to know so we can fix it. And so, you know, as a guest that we're working on that and you don't just leave kind of mad like, oh, well, their water didn't even work or, you know, whatever the problem may be. So, yeah, yeah. Couldn't agree more. Awesome. Um, so, all right, we're getting kind of towards the end of the show. The last thing that I wanted to ask you is what are some pet peeves that you have that hosts do? Maybe that you've seen more than once that, you know, maybe they're, they think they're doing something good, but what, what are the annoying things that hosts do to you as a, a full-time uh, digital nomad? Yeah. That's a great question. And and I'll just start by saying, honestly, we have been so like blessed to have incredible stays. Hosts have been super accommodating. I mean, again, especially traveling during a pandemic, I, I do feel like people just have gone over and above to be helpful and honestly just make me, you know, I, I never want to stay in a hotel ever again uh, because of because of these hosts. So for all of you STR hosts that are listening, keep up the great work. Um, however, uh, a couple, a couple annoying things. One is, you know, we, 
I, you know, I, I like a clean place. I don't think I'm, you know, crazy about, you know, needing everything perfect. However, there've been a couple instances where you're paying a, you know, $175, $200 cleaning fee and you walk into a place and it doesn't feel very clean. Uh, and so I've had instances where we've contacted the host and just said, Hey, um, you know, just an FYI, I don't know if there was a, maybe a snafu with your cleaning team, but like the place wasn't especially clean. And I've had a host argue with me like over, over message, you know, uh, the, the Airbnb uh, app or what, and whatnot. And it, I don't know, in my opinion, if, if your guest is complaining about the cleanliness of the space and if they've paid a cleaning fee, regardless of what you think, again, you're not there unless you're spying on, you know, me via your cameras, but um, you know, you're, you're not there. You don't know. Right. And, and so at the very least, like reimburse the cleaning fee and, or offer to have somebody stop by and clean it again or, and whatnot. And so there've been a couple instances where, and cleaning is one example. There was another example of, um, you know, a fire pit that they claimed was working and it, it actually wasn't. And I was letting them know that. And then they were arguing with me that, no, I didn't know what I was doing. Anyways, don't argue with your guests uh, over over the app. Like at least at least try and resolve the issue. At least assume the best that okay, the person is contacting you simply because there's an issue. They're not contacting. They're not intending to be annoying, or they're not intending to create more work for you. And sometimes it feels as if the contacting of your host is an imposition on them. Like the very fact that you've you know encountered a problem is somehow inconveniencing them. And while that totally might be true, don't let your guest feel that. So that would be my, my one kind of big overarching critique is don't put you know, your guest in a position where they feel that they have somehow you know, caused you some discomfort because of a problem that they encountered in your space. Yeah, I think it's kind of, that's just one of those human nature things where people just want to get defensive if you have constructive criticism or just feedback that might not be sparkling. And you are right. Like I, as a remote owner, I don't know. I trust my cleaner, but there, you know, can be times everybody is a human being and maybe they miss something or maybe they uh, were in a hurry or were having a bad day and kind of half-assed it that day. I want to know about that stuff. Yeah. And I always tell people like, there's one little phrase that I use to keep everything from sounding like I'm being defensive. So um, I always say, oh no, exclamation point, <laughs> because yeah. then that sounds like, oh yeah, I care. Yeah. What's up. And so even if the next thing that I say is like, well, you know, did you unplug it and plug it back in, which can sound kind of condescending. Yeah. But uh, if you say just, oh, no, exclamation at the beginning, that automatically kind of like changes the tone of like, okay, I'm being nice. I'm being cool. I care. And not just like, well, did you try unplugging it and plugging it back in, you dumbass? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, that's my little trick is the, oh, no, exclamation, because it kind of softens the tone a little bit. So even if you're not being defensive, it, it it helps lessen the coming across as being defensive. I love that. One, one quick uh, thing I'll say in, in the same vein here too, is that I've seen a couple of hosts do this, um, but not as many as I would expect. You know, you get the message uh, after you've booked a stay or typically like after you've checked in, I think from hosts, it'll say, hey, we are striving for a five-star review. If there's anything that we can do to make your stay more enjoyable, please let us know. 
Uh, and I appreciate this, those messages. I think that that's, that's great. And, and again, it's a smart tactic. It makes me think, okay, hey, this is what they're going for. If, if I've had a great stay and I didn't let them know otherwise, um, then I, I owe them a five-star review. Uh, it, again, I put sort of that the onus on the guest. But I think one of the things that would be really cool is leaving a, a notebook, like a physical notepad of some sort, right, in the place where it's like, there's just it, almost like a suggestion box, um, but just like a, hey, we are constantly trying to improve the guest experience. Like, you know, what, if anything, could, can we do to make this space more comfortable for, you know, future guests? And I think why the physical notebook is helpful is it's a lot of effort to, you know, message a guest and get, or excuse me, a host and hosts say all the time, hey, let us know if there's anything we can do to improve the space. But it requires a lot of work to get out your phone, kind of contact them. And if you're contacting them out of the blue, it also feels like, oh, well, I don't want them to think I'm disappointed that like there's not a lemon squeezer in the place. I'm just saying, but, but you know, they said, let us know if there's anything we can do to improve your stay. So the physical notepad or, you know, a suggestion box of, of some kind, I think could, could go a long way because it feels like you're not complaining. Uh, you're, you're, but you are noting the fact that, hey, I, tried to make this meal and I didn't have this cooking utensil that I would normally have or normally use, it would be great if you could add this to your kitchen. So some sort of just like physical, you know, notepad of some, I think would be, would be super helpful for, for hosts, uh, most importantly, and, and would also make the guest that does want to give some feedback, right. Or some constructive criticism, a vehicle through which to do so that doesn't feel so abrasive. Gotcha. Yeah. And that makes sense. And so I know from the host perspective, there are a lot of people out there that a lot on the guest side that don't realize that four stars is a bad review. Yeah. Uh, they think like four star accommodations. Great. Cool. I'll leave four stars. And yep. that's actually bad. Like that actually hurts us as hosts. So I think that's why uh, a lot of us will send that. <clears throat> Hey, looking for a five-star review, please do so. And also a lot of, you'd be surprised how many people just don't leave reviews at all. So yeah. it's just a kind of like, Hey there, nudge, nudge. If you liked it, please leave us a five-star. So yeah, totally get it. Suggestion box. That's not something I would have thought of as a, a physical one. So that's, that's cool advice. Um, so we're going to skip two of our three uh, of our last last round of questions. And I'm kind of looking forward to your favorite book that has impacted your mindset because I feel like it's going to be different and not one that we've heard a hundred times from the investor side of things. So what's your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? So um, hopefully this isn't, I feel like there, this could be a favorite uh, book of, of some of your investors, but the, the big the book that's had the biggest impact of just how I think about the world is actually uh, a Tim Ferriss book, uh, The 4-Hour Workweek. Um, and Tim is just vehicle through which he thinks about lifestyle design. Uh, at a very you know young age, when I was in college, I picked up the book. Totally changed the way I thought about work. Uh, totally changed the way that I thought about you know how to live life. And I think the reality is a lot of the, the reason I was able to kind of muster up the courage to let go of things and get on the road and kind of do try this whole nomad thing in partnership or in, in part was because of uh, my wife's courage to do so, but, but also just because of how Tim Ferriss talks about living a, a life that maximizes um, experience. And he talks a lot about like the new rich, right. Being, being about time, having time to do the things that you want to do. Uh, and that, uh, that book has just filled with, so many uh, anecdotes of people that 
have pursued, you know, the path less traveled and have done so very successfully. So that would be that book. And then if I slide, if I could slide in one more uh, deep work by Cal Newport, uh, which is in the same sort of vein, but just the ability to really drill down and, and focus uh, in, in a world that is just where we are all inundated with distraction constantly. And our attention is vied for in so many uh, directions. And so the ability to block noise out and really drill down and focus on producing great work uh, has, has, has been incredibly influential in my professional life as well. Two great ones that have not actually been mentioned before. You would think oh, for good. our work week would have been mentioned, but it has not. I, I always forget about that. When I read that back when I had a corporate gig and was looking for, you know, something better. And yeah. um, that one total, that one was a game changer for me too. So that's a great one. And I have to check oh, out the other one. Cal Newport It's called what? It's called Deep Work. Yep. And Deep it, Work. Cal, Got it. Yeah. Cal Newport. He's a professor at Georgetown in Washington, D.C., but it. It's a, it's a fairly popular book now. Um, he's got a couple other really good ones out there. Okay, awesome. I will check that out. And uh, thank you, Zach, so much for coming on. Uh, if our listeners want to get a hold of you, maybe to ask you more questions about what you find annoying about us as hosts, what can, where can they find you? <laughs> yeah, so you can find us. Uh, so my wife and I, uh, along the way, we started Sponstaneous, uh, and it's a newsletter, actually, that we, we have a subscriber base where we send out last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnbs and other short-term rentals every Wednesday night. So uh, you can contact me via our website, spontaneous.com. And then we actually have a podcast called Behind the Stays, which really, um, it's it's much more story driven. uh, And it really sort of unpacks the, you know, the why behind the the creation of a space. So if you're a, you know, STR host, and want to be on our show, you can contact me via the website as well, or, or just Zach, Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com. But thank you so much for this opportunity, Avery. I, I love the work that you guys are doing. It's been hugely you know, influential as I kind of step into this space. So thanks for, thanks for all the great content that you guys continue to put out, and uh, happy to you know, share some of my story with you all. Yes, thank you so, so much for the insight because I think all of our listeners hear a lot from other investors, but very rarely do they hear from someone who stays in short-term rentals constantly. So I think this has been really, really great information and thank you so, so much for coming on. All right, take care. Yeah, catch you next time.